Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading, which can be found on page 1217 in the Bibles in the pews, is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you here um, with us this morning. Do keep that passage from 1 Peter open. We're going to be um, spending our time uh, looking at verses 3 to 5 together this morning, so you'll want to have that open as we get into it in a bit of detail. Uh, if we've not met, my name's Andy. I'm the Minister for Students here at Forward Church, and um, if we haven't met, I'll be just at the door on the way out, and I'd love to meet you, so do come and introduce yourself, and, um, and if you've been coming here for ages, I'd love to chat to you as well, so do be friendly, won't you? Um, but let's keep this open. 
and I'm going to pray for God's help, and uh, then let's dive in together. So let's pray. Our Lord God, we thank you for a word that was written to serve us, and for a gospel that is preached by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we pray that as we come to look at this word together now, that you would help us by your Holy Spirit to understand what it says to see more of you in your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and to better understand our lives and the eternal realities of our universe, and that you would change the way that we think and act and feel. In Jesus' name, amen. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In 1949, a 22-year-old Christian by the name of Jim Elliot wrote those words in his diary. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And um, uh, just about four years after he wrote those words in his diary, um, uh, Jim Elliot and uh, his wife and little daughter and a number of others went out together to become missionaries in Ecuador. Uh, they moved to live in uh, the Ecuadorian rainforest, and their goal was to reach a tribe called the Huarani Indians, who'd had little contact with outsiders, who, as far as they knew, knew nothing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their aim was to make contact with them and to tell them the great news of the gospel. Uh, it was a decision that cost them as a family in terms of their, their comfort. Uh, it cost Jim in his career. Uh, it cost them in terms of their health. And, um, and initially, things seemed to go well, uh, at the beginning of uh, January uh, 1956, uh, they first made contact with the tribe. They met um, two women and a man, and um, in faltering phrases, they'd learned um, one way and another of the Huarani language. They, they began to try to explain who they were. They exchanged gifts with them. Things seemed to be going very well. But then on January the 8th, 1956, it cost Jim and four others their lives. Uh, a misunderstanding with tribespeople on their second encounter led them to be speared to death. And the issue that um, we're thinking about this morning, the issue this passage from 1 Peter raises, is what is it that makes a Christian believer willing to give up and lose out on things for the sake of Jesus Christ? What is it that would motivate and enable a Christian believer to give everything, even their life, for the sake of following after Jesus and making him known? And of course, it's not just a, a hypothetical question. It's not merely academic. Um, living here in Sheffield uh, in uh, the 21st century, you're unlikely to be speared to death. Even if you're a Nottingham Forest fan, you'll probably be fine. But following Jesus will cost you in any number of ways. If you're serious about believing his promises and obeying his commands, following Jesus will be costly. I think of a previous church I was a part of where the curate was taken to task by the national newspapers because he preached a sermon on 1 Peter about the Christian view of marriage. And he had journalists camped literally on his front lawn for a fortnight hassling his wife and children for an interview or a quote. 
I think of another friend of mine who um, posted support uh, for a Christian organization on her Facebook page, and the next day she was called into the office of one of the partners where she worked and told to explain herself and narrowly avoided being disciplined simply for being public about her Christian faith. A student I was talking to just over a year ago talking about the, um, the distance that it has created in his relationship with his family since he started following the Lord Jesus Christ because they just don't understand why he would give up everything and follow Jesus. And on top of that, we might just put all of the ordinary suffering of life in this world that the Christian faces and just goes on trying to trust Jesus day by day. It will cost you to follow Jesus Christ. I mean, in those sort of circumstances, it's tempting to simply withdraw into a Christian bubble or to give up on being faithful to Jesus and just blend in. But if we stick with Jesus, believe his promises and obey his commands, it will be costly And what Peter wants to show us in these verses at the beginning of his letter this morning is what it is that makes a Christian believer willing to pay the cost, why it's worth it. Uh, We're beginning a new series this morning, uh, looking at the Christian's future hope from the letter of 1 Peter. It's a sort of Advent series, but you get a week free this week before Advent starts next week. And um, Peter is writing to Christians who are finding living the Christian life to be hard and a struggle. And just look at chapter 1, verse 1 with me for a moment. How he describes them. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world and scattered throughout Pontius Galatia and so on. They feel like strangers. In the dominant culture, they feel that they don't fit in. Uh, They feel like the big, uh, loud voices in the media hate what they stand for. They're constantly swimming against the tide like like strangers. It's It's a word for refugees. They don't fit in. Scattered. Few and small in number, just a few hundred in a city of many thousands, maybe the only Christian where they work. And Peter says, you're strangers, you're scattered. And then chapter one, verse six, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And so here are Christians who are strangers, scattered and suffering. And Peter writes to encourage them to keep going. But um, he's got a cracking start. Just have a look at verse 3, the start of the, um, the body of his letter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it almost feels sort of pastorally insensitive, doesn't it? You know, imagine my friend, she comes out of the meeting with the partner at her work, and, um, and she says, you know, all of this has happened, and I've just been given a major telling off, and you say, praise God. And it just feels a bit insensitive, doesn't it? But... Listen to what Peter says in verse six. He says, in verses three to five, he has truth for us. That means that verse six, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. See, what Peter has to tell us in verses three to five is something so good, so certain, that it'll make us keep going with Jesus even when it's hard. More than that, it'll make us rejoice and and keep going with him with a song of joy on our lips and in our hearts of praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And in summing it up, I couldn't really think of anything better, anything more succinct or clearer than the words of Jim Elliot just over 70 years ago. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to to gain what he cannot lose. Three things that are dead certain for the Christian believer. First of all, the Christian can be absolutely certain of our new birth. The Christian can be certain of our new birth. Have a look again with me at verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Remember the words of um, Jesus when, um, when Nicodemus, that great Jewish leader, came to see him at night time. And Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Well, Peter was there. He remembers those words. And he says, Christian, you have been given new birth into a living hope. That is a hope that endures through death an ever-living hope, new life. The, um, the life that we live in this world is temporary and fragile at best, isn't it? Temporary and fragile. I've told some of you before about a friend of mine from school days called Pete. And um, Pete was the sort of guy that um, you can't help but envy. He was, um, he was smart. He was impressive academically. He was sporty. He was musical. He was a delightful guy. He was the sort of guy you'd, you would basically hate if he wasn't such a nice bloke. But it's a tragic story, really. Um, Pete got a good um, degree at university, went to work for a law firm in London. He'd just been given a big promotion at work. He was celebrating outside a pub in South London when a piece of masonry fell off the side of the pub and he was crushed dead where he stood. And life is temporary and fragile. It may, be, um, it may be a freak accident, uh, it may be illness, that diagnosis that comes in, it may simply be the, the, the ongoing process of aging, but the life we know in this world is too short and too fragile. And here Peter says, you've been given a new life, Christian, a new birth into a living hope, a hope that endures through death. And look again at verse three, it is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, when Jesus of Nazareth, when he died on a cross, he died the death that we deserve for the way that we've treated God. And when he rose again, he punched a hole through death. He defeated death. He destroyed its consequences so that there can be a new life for every person who trusts in him. A life that goes on through death and into eternity, starting from the very day that we trust him. And Peter says, Christian, you have been given new birth into this living hope. But that phrase new birth, it's not just about the sort of extent of the life, that it's eternal life. It's a word for a new relationship. Uh, More literally, um, uh, uh, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth, could be something like, um, he has um, begotten us again. That's for you if you're a lover of the King James Version. Or we could put it something like this, he has re-fathered us. 
Look again at verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has re-fathered us into a living hope. That relationship of Jesus to the Father is one we have been called into as Christian believers. I don't know how you think about God. And maybe you think about God as a sort of heavenly boss or headmaster, you know, who gives you your instructions from on high. Or maybe, God forbid, you think of him as a sort of heavenly Ofsted inspector, you know, keeping a close eye on how you're living, putting black marks next to your name every time you get something wrong. Um, There aren't any Ofsted inspectors here, are there? Just just occurs to me, we love you if you are, and you're very welcome. (laughs) But you see, Peter says that Jesus is no heavenly boss. Uh, Sorry, God God the Father... Our God is no heavenly boss or Ofsted inspector, but that by new birth he becomes our loving father. Of course he cares how we live. Of course he tells us how to live, but not as a boss or examiner or something like that, but a loving father. And what a secure relationship that is. And the thing not to miss about this gift of new birth is that it is completely secure and reliable. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Some negatives to bring that out. This new birth is not based on what you do, not based on your good works, if I can put it like that. Peter doesn't write, have a look at verse three, he doesn't write, praise be to you Christians in your great intelligence or in your great morality or in your great spirituality you have given yourself new birth no he says praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope you know it's why um, it's why birth is such a great picture you know, just think about it for a moment how much did you contribute to your own birth Now, I've been there as a dad in the delivery room, so let me assure you that your mum did all the work. You basically just lay there and were born. In fact, I was looking at this passage with a student earlier in the week, and he looked at me very earnestly and said, my mum says I actually made it quite a lot harder on the day. (laughs) You you did nothing, and and yet your mother gave birth, and here he has given us new birth. It's not based on what you do. The Bible says even your faith itself is the fruit of this gift of new life, of this new birth. Even your living hope is the evidence that God has given new life to you, not based on what you do. Uh, It's not a process either. It's not as if you go to Christianity Explored and, and believe in Jesus and it's like the head sort of pops out and then you join a home group and learn a bit more and it's like a bit more comes out and then finally the last push, you do forward Bible training and that's when you're finally actually born and it's a long drawn out process. No, it says here, every believer of every believer in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, not a process, but a gift of God's mercy. It's not based on what you do. It's not a process. And think too, it's not based on your circumstances or performance. You know, I don't know what kind of week you've had 
this week. Perhaps it's been a profoundly discouraging one as a Christian. You've, you've overslept a number of days. You had a burst water main on one of them, and I don't know, the cat was on fire or something the other day. And so you've just not managed to read your Bible or pray. You got furious with your boss one day because of the way he spoke to you, and you deeply regret that. You invited someone to the carol service. They said no and looked at you like you had grown a second head, and later they, um, they made rude comments about Christians to someone else in your hearing, and, and it's just been deep deeply discouraging this week. Uh, Maybe it's been a really good week, I don't know. But you see, Peter says, it's not that when things are going hard as a Christian and when it's discouraging, our relationship with God is somehow in doubt. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope, not based on your circumstances, but through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so here is something the Christian can be certain of. New birth, a new relationship that goes through death and into eternity. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And then notice here in 1 Peter the result of being born again, the outcome of new birth. The second thing that a Christian can be certain of is a glorious future. The Christian can be certain of our glorious future. Look again at verse three with me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. I wonder what the world would be like in your dreams. What is the world as you long for it to be? Maybe it's for Sheffield to have weather more like the Bahamas. Maybe it's the difficult relationship that you just wish would be a bit easier. Maybe being a Christian to be a joy at work and not a constant swimming against the tide. In in the Old Testament, God promised to his Old Testament people a great inheritance, the land of Canaan. It was described as a land flowing with milk and honey, And I don't know about you, I find that quite an odd phrase, to be honest, flowing with milk. You know, they just love breakfast foods or something like that. But what it it means is basically the land of their dreams. You know, imagine for a moment a pasture, a farmland that is so packed full of free-range cattle and sheep that you don't know what to do with all of the dairy. You've just got so much of it. And, you know, honey was an expensive and rare commodity in the ancient world. And here is a land flowing with it. God was promising them the land of their dreams. But of course, if you've read the Old Testament, you'll know that when, when the people got to the land of Canaan and when they lived there, Because of their sin and the aggression of their neighbors and because of the fallenness and brokenness of the world we live in, it never quite was the land of their dreams. It never quite lived up to their hopes. But the Old Testament prophets promised that one day God would give a new, a greater inheritance, 
The land of Canaan was only ever meant to be a picture of the true land of their dreams, a new heavens and a new earth, a place where all of the things that spoil this world, the sin, the the suffering, the, the pain, the death itself would be taken away. It's the world we all want, the world we long for, the world we dream about, and a world where we'll see God face to face. And Peter says that is the inheritance that is stored up for every Christian believer, the promised inheritance. Do you, do you, remember, in, um, do you remember in Matthew 6, Jesus says to the crowds, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy him. Thieves don't break in and steal. Well, Peter was there and he's clearly learned the lesson because he says, Christian, verse four, you've been given an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade that is kept in heaven for you. One commentator describes it like this, an inheritance untouched by death, unstained by evil, unimpaired by time. It is compounded of immortality, purity, and beauty. The world we all want. The new heavens and the new earth. Now in this world, you can lose a lot. People can take a lot from you. They can take your self-respect. They can take your reputation. They can take your, um, they can take your money. They can take your career. In Jim Elliott's case, they can take your life itself. But here is something that no one can take from you if you're a Christian believer. A new heavens and a new earth, an inheritance that will never wear out, will never perish or spoil or fade. Let's just be honest for a moment. Um, when, I, when I think back over um, my life as a Christian and I think of the times when I've not trusted Jesus wholeheartedly, and I've not been as bold as I should have been as a Christian, it's been because I feared losing things. I think about my first, um, my first job, first full-time job, and um, there was a real culture of lying to the clients. Um, don't worry, it wasn't a job for a church. Um, there was a real culture of lying to the clients. And so on the phone, you'd say, oh, it's already in the post, or um, uh, don't worry, he'll have it done by the end of the day, when you knew it wasn't true. And I've been a Christian for a couple of years, and I, I knew that that was wrong. But I have to say, to my shame, I was more worried about the respect and, and, and reputation I would lose with my boss than I was about living for Jesus. And so I just went along with it because I feared losing out. Or I think about the conversations where I've had an opportunity to speak of Jesus and I've chosen not to. Or I know I should have defended Jesus' honor, but I didn't. And it was because I feared losing reputation I feared what other people would think of me. And Peter says that when I've done that, that when we do that, it's because we're doing our accounting wrong. We've lost sight of the inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That the things that really matter cannot be taken from us. See, I might lose out on some of those things, but the thing that really matters, the treasure that is of real significance, is secure. 
Now, I don't know what sort of family you're from. Um, I'm not from the sort of family where I'm expecting an enormous inheritance to come to me in the future. Um, there, was, um, there was a hotel owner in New York who made headlines in 2004 because she had a fortune of $4 billion and she gave none of it to her children and all of it to her dog. Um, a staffy who I think was appropriately named Trouble. And, um, and I don't know what sort of inheritance you're looking forward to, but there are basically two things that you need um, for an inheritance to be secure. Um, you need the inheritance itself to be somewhere safe uh, and not to be lost in the process. And, um, and you need to be there to collect it. You know, you need to live and be present to get the inheritance when it's coming to you. And now look at what Peter says in verse 4. A new birth into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. You see, you can't see it now, and yet it's prepared for you in the heavens, in a place where it cannot be lost or stolen or damaged or wear out. It's waiting for you there in the heavens to be revealed, secure. But more than that, look at verse 5. You Christians, at the end of verse 4, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed. You see, it's not just that the inheritance is somewhere safe and secure, but that God's power is protecting you to get you there. Uh, We might think about God's power in creation to speak a few words and a whole universe comes into being. Might read the Gospels and see Jesus' power to to calm the storm, to heal the sick, to defeat evil. We, We might think of the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And Peter says God's power is at work shielding, guarding, protecting Christians to get us to this inheritance, like an army surrounding you, taking you there. Now, it doesn't mean that he'll keep us from difficult circumstances. Remember, he's writing to Christians who are strangers, scattered and suffering. But no, verse five, it is through faith that we are shielded. God and his power will keep us trusting him all the way to this glorious inheritance. Do you see, it's completely secure. If you're a Christian here today, you can be absolutely certain of your new birth and of a glorious future and inheritance. If we do our accounting properly, if we see what's coming to us, well, we'll be full of joy, whatever we face. But listen, um, someone will say to me, Andy, that's all well and good. I love to think about the future but I just feel weary in my Christian life. I've been seeking to live for Jesus. I want to go all out for him, but I just feel so worn down. You know, the struggle with my family, it just feels like we're getting further apart and they're more antagonistic to the gospel, not less. You know, going against the flow at school or at work is just exhausting and I just, I don't know if I can get up and do another week of it. You know, I invited people to the carol service last year and, and they all said no. And it's so hard to believe that some of them would come this year. I'm just exhausted in the Christian life. And look, the last thing that Peter says Christians can be certain of 
is an imminent rescue. Christians can be certain of an imminent rescue. Look again at verse four. An inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until, until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you pick up the flavor of those words? This, this rescue, this bringing us out of our situation and our suffering and giving to us the wonderful inheritance, it's ready to be revealed. It's like it's itching to come out and be known. It's like Jesus is in heaven, just, just can't wait to come back and rescue you and give you this world that we all want. And so keep going. A few years ago, a friend of mine talked me into running the New York Marathon with him. You can probably look at me and tell that I'm not a sort of regular long-distance runner. And um, I made my best go of, uh, go of training. Uh, I won't tell you what my time was. Um, suffice it to say that my friend's dad, when I told him uh, afterwards, said, um, oh, so um, more of a brisk walk than a run then, really. But... Um, <laughs> But, but, you know, I signed up for this, for this marathon and I was struggling my way through it. In the last few miles, um, you know, people talk about the wall and um, I, was, um, I, I was just at the point where I was thinking, oh, to be honest, I just need to just stop and have a little bit of a rest. You know, maybe just take a nap here for a few hours and, and just hope the race is to... Anyway, so I was sort of staggering over to the side with a few miles to go when, um, when this New York Park Ranger in kind of full brown uniform and everything um, cries out, had my name printed on my t-shirt and he cries out Andy there's only about three miles to go keep going and it was just about enough to keep me putting one foot in front of the other and get me to that finishers medal and the well done more of a brisk walk than a run that I deserved but you see Peter is giving us a flavor of that here you see it may feel exhausting to keep going to keep trusting Jesus' promises and obeying his commands when it feels very costly to live as a Christian. But Peter says there is a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. An inheritance that is just itching to burst forth and be seen, a rescue to bring you out of your suffering that is just around the corner. So keep going. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now I don't know what battles you're facing at the moment to live for Jesus. But if it's true... And in the resurrection of Jesus, we see that it is, then it's worth it. You can be certain of your new eternal relationship, certain of the inheritance that brings, and certain that it's just around the corner. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Keep going, keep trusting. Let me pray. Our Lord God, we pray that this week you would fix the eyes of our hearts 
on this great new birth that you have given us in the wonderful future inheritance that is so certain for us so that we would keep on going knowing that it is just around the corner. We ask that that would fill us with joy and praise to your name even as it's hard to live for you day to day. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.